Welcome to Distributing Solar. We speak with energy entrepreneurs and experts working in the off-grid solar industry around the world, bringing to life how distributed solar is changing lives in emerging markets. Today, we're speaking with Winnick Solar, a Nigerian solar solutions provider that is solving energy-related problems in Nigeria by enabling access to solar. They provide rooftop solar systems for micro-businesses, which saves them a minimum of 30% on their electricity cost. Our conversation touches upon the challenges around solar in Nigeria, the difficulty accessing financing for startups, and the benefits of solar systems for micro-business customers. Winnick's founder and CEO, Sanmi Lajuomi, begins by telling us how he transitioned from the IT sector to the solar sector. Okay, so my name is Sanmi, Sanmi Lajuomi. I am Nigerian of origin, and uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Winnock Solar Limited. My background is in IT, and particularly project management. I studied in the UK, went to University of East London, and then took some extra courses at City University. And in the course of doing IT, I started to look at what was out there in terms of how I can impact Africa. And one thing that I saw clearly that was slowing down economic growth and that was really stifling information is the lack of electricity. So I said, what can I do in this space? So from 2013, doing research, I then discovered that solar is the answer. Now, I was very happy that solar is the answer because I'm also very environmentally friendly. I believe that we are custodians of Earth and we have the responsibility to ensure that we leave a safe planet for future generations. So, got into solar 2017, started uh, Winox Solar in Nigeria with my partner, Arinze. So, Arinze and I, on starting, we said, where can we really add value in Nigeria using solar? And then we looked at 90 million people and we said, actually the people that make the wheels of the economy turn in Nigeria are the micro-businesses. Of the, they contribute about 70% of the GDP and they also are the largest employers of labor. But they really have challenges with electricity. So we said, okay, we'll find out. We started off by, first of all, designing a market survey and we surveyed about 500 businesses and said, hey, what's your challenge with electricity? And we were absolutely astounded at what we found. We found that majority of these micro-businesses, of which there are 37 million of them in Nigeria, majority of them rely only on petrol generators. And those that see some electricity from the grid barely get it. So, for example, uh, the guys that, that see it, some of them in day-day markets, only get it for, let's say, five hours a day, four hours a day, on a very good day. Sometimes during rainy season, for example, they sometimes don't see electricity for days. So they are then spending money on petrol generator. Now, apart from the fact that there's lack of stable electricity and they have to rely on petrol generator, there are major problems with generators itself. The first one being the, the effect on the environment. The size of generators that these micro-businesses use emits around 1,500 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. Then the second problem is that the cost is very, very prohibitive in terms of uh, getting into business. It's about 40 cents per kilowatt hour. And the third problem is that these generators are very, very dangerous. They emit carbon monoxide. And in Africa, according to a World Health Organization report that was done in 2015, in Africa, about 600,000 Africans die annually from carbon monoxide inhalation, not just from generator, from cooking sources, all of that. So those were the problems that were identified. Now, we said, okay, um, what, can, what sort of solution can we introduce 
to, to solve this problem because if we eliminate generator we eliminate all these problems and if we provide solar we provide stable electricity the real problem now emerged these people even though they have stable cash flow they don't have the capital up front to buy the solar system and each one is about a thousand dollars so you can imagine a business person that earns equivalent of three hundred dollars four hundred dollars a month and you're asking them to buy a thousand dollars worth of system upfront then we said we would provide them systems at no capital upfront which is leasing it to them so we designed systems one kilowatts and 1.5 kilowatts priced at fourteen dollars and seventeen dollars respectively per, per month so we said to them would you be able to afford this because in nigeria there's no data so you just have to trust you have to trust them that they will be able to pay so we started off in january 2000, 2017 precisely rolling out this model with a gentleman named Suleiman, who is the who is the head of the Babas Association in a place called Karishi. So, and I'm happy to say that two years on, Suleiman is still one of our best customers. Uh, Suleiman vouches that the system has improved his life drastically. How? Suleiman has saved 70 percent on his electricity cost, not adding the ongoing cost, just the cost versus generator upfront. Not to talk of the ongoing cost on petrol. Suleiman is, I, I guarantee you, if you see him now compared to two years ago, he, he looks healthier because he used to keep the generator in his shop. So you can imagine all the smoke, what it would do to his skin, all of that. And Suleiman is the biggest champion of Winock now. So to date, we've been able to self-finance over 150 kilowatts of power that is out there now. So and that equates to 80 customers distributed solar systems. So that's, well, that's it in a nutshell. Now we're looking to scale and looking to see how we can help more people. And our mission is to ensure that clean energy is available to all because there are over 1 billion people that don't have access to electricity. If we can give them clean energy, and that will really help in reducing carbon emissions. So that's what we're doing. For people who have never been to a local Nigerian market, can you just give a bit of an understanding of, of what a micro business is and what your typical customers look like so that people can really get a bit of a flavor of how this is changing their lives? Sure. So according to the Nigerian Bureau of Statistics, the micro business is defined as a business that employs not more than 10 people. So in the market, you have diff different varieties of businesses. And the most common businesses that you'll find are barbing salons or hairdressing salons, tailors, and mobile charging companies. So that's been a fantastic overview of what you've been doing for the last two years. Can you tell us a bit about what your goals are for the next five years? For the next five years, our goal, our number one goal is to become the number one solar company in Nigeria. That's the overarching vision. Now, how do we reach that? But for our micro-business segments, we want to have served about 50,000 businesses by year five, by 2024. So that's uh, what our goal is. And you mentioned that you used to live in the UK. You currently have a team that's split between the UK and Nigeria. How has this been working? What are the advantages and the challenges involved? So we have a team in London and in Abuja so far. It's been going fine because I myself only returned to Nigeria two months ago. That's why I still sound like the queen. Uh, before I returned, the business, as I mentioned, was running for two years and it was actually being run by the, the local team. So then we had uh, just four people on the ground. So the challenge has been the internet speed in Nigeria. It's getting better, but two years ago, 
it was really, really bad. So doing video conferencing, all of that communication in, in, in general was a challenge. But uh, we've been able to, with persistence and with uh, courage, we've been able to make it work. So, so it sounds like it was working really well. How have you seen a change in you and the company's direction now that you're back and you're really immersing yourself with your local customers? Whilst it was working really well then, it's difficult to make correct assumptions without being on the ground. Because previously I would just come in, maybe I'll come to Nigeria four times a year, but only come for a few days each time. So I wasn't able to get a full picture of what was happening. So being on the ground, I took my time over the last two months to sit with the customers, understand how the system has been to them and understand what challenges they've been facing with it. So I was able to get real actual data on the ground. And in terms of the team, how, how has it affected them? Their morale has been seriously boosted. So first of all, I don't run the company like another Nigerian because Nigerians are very hierarchical and uh, they use the word sir for everyone, for senior people. So I banned the word sir in the company. So it's uh, very refreshing for them to see a different way of running business, which is like a UK way. And I find that by running it more like uh, an IT startup in Silicon Valley, they, they are able to express their ideas. And you'll be surprised what these people, even though they've never been out of Nigeria, some of them, what they are expressing in terms of great ideas that can be useful anywhere in the world. What are the upcoming projects you're most excited about and how do you prioritize your projects and potential customers. How do you think about that landscape of, of solar opportunities? Nigeria is like a basket of opportunities. You, if you try to pursue everything, you find out you run out of breath quickly because there are so many opportunities. So we knew that from the onset. That's why we initially started with focusing on the micro businesses. And now we added recently EPC and O&M for residentials that need between 650 watts and 10 kilowatts of systems. And a third leg is government projects, which are going to be one-off constituency projects. The businesses, the three segments have different requirements, resource allocation needs. So for the micro business, for example, we rely on external capital. So when it comes to that, we define it very, very clearly. And it just really um, is about ensuring that we are documenting our work correctly for investors and providing information and engaging investors. Whereas for the um, residential segment, it's about marketing and getting customers that want to install. And therefore the government project is about building relationship and tendering to secure a contract to install for government. So they are really, really different segments. There seems to be a huge amount of appetite for solar power in Nigeria. Just as I was getting my visa for Abuja, I spoke to at least three people in the queue who are really excited about solar power and asked me how they could get solar power for their own homes. What do you think are the major challenges or hurdles towards greater adoption of solar within Nigeria? I mean, I'm very happy that you're seeing that actually everyone is championing solar in Nigeria. Even the little kid on the streets knows about solar now. But before I touch on that answer in terms of the hurdles, I'll just touch on quickly why that attraction is there. In Nigeria, the grid situation is very, very poor. You have the national grid supplying 4,000 megawatts of generating capacity of distribution and the demand is 180 gigawatts. So you see the gap is massive. Now, in Nigeria, the main driver for solar is the fact that solar is the clear replacement or the clear solution to the electricity problem. So that's why everyone wants solar. So what are the major hurdles? The major hurdle is that solar for the distributed systems or even the mini grid is capital intensive. Even power as a whole is a, a very capital intensive industry. And 
access to capital is a major, major problem. So that would be the main challenge. And the other challenges are that there is a lack of understanding of proper execution of solar in Nigeria. So we don't have a lot of uh, people that have the technical know-how to deploy it. That's the other challenge. Do you have any comments or observations on the general difficulties of getting financing within Nigeria, whether it be for solar business specifically or just as a startup? So the general difficulty is that there is little capital in the country itself. Even though the country is very rich with natural resources, a, a large population of the country are not productive. So the country itself is not that rich. Then the second challenge is that the banks charge very high interest rates, up to about 30%. And that's with collateral, by the way. So it's a great obstacle then for someone with a great idea and a lot of confidence and positivity. And the banks don't buy that. They only want to see that you, know, you can pay 30%. Then the third thing is that a lot of the capital comes from outside of the country. But in recent times, Nigeria has been in, a, had been in a recession, although the country is back into positive growth now, GDP growth. I think it's about 2% as at last quarter. So that's a good thing. But as at three years ago, two years ago, we're at negative growth. So a lot of investors started pulling out, even those that were in, in the country already started pulling out their capital. So those were the challenges. One, the country itself is not that rich, so government cannot really support initiatives. Two, the uh, capital providers locally make it very, very expensive. And three, uh, because of the recession, capital inflow has been very, very slow. I, I mean, I think for a lot of people who don't really understand the country in detail, there's a large perception of risk uh, around the political climate, around um, corruption, and, and around a number of different areas that I think scares away a lot of otherwise very sensible investors. And there's a lot of obviously very exciting opportunities here. I was just wondering if you could shed a bit of light on what, what it really like, you know, how, how do people understand that? And where is that gap between the perception of risk and the actual risk that is to be encountered here? That's actually a question that's very, very much at my heart. And I sometimes ponder and try to find how, you know, try to understand the whole picture. Because I'm very much into philosophy, I'll first of all tell you the philosophical challenge and then I'll tell you what are the perception and what's real and what's not. The challenge is that Nigerians as a whole are short-term thinkers, right? Because naturally, if there's scarcity, people think short-term. So they don't think of the long-term impact of actions. They, they mainly think of what is it, what is in it for me now. Because of that, you find that a lot of people would probably just be dubious. That's the honest truth. So there are a lot of dubious Nigerians. That's the clean, honest truth. Now, is it... Nigerians that are dubious or is it the environment that creates dubious Nigerians? I think it's the latter because now in America, Nigerians are the highest median income earners. So that shows that we can actually be very, very positive. So really that's the challenge. Now, in terms of whether the perception, the, the size of the perception, I think the perception is far larger, far, far larger than the reality. Yes, there is a risk, but the perception of the risk from Chinese whispers has been blown much largely out of proportion, right? I grew up in Nigeria. I haven't had much challenges. I love, love, love Nigeria. I don't think I can live anywhere else again. So the risk of uh, doing business is not as much as 
uh, people perceive. But I do think, though, that what could have actually increased the perception is that there have been a lot of fraudulent people, we call them 419 in Nigeria, that go around presenting themselves as legitimate business people. But if you really, really look at it, if someone comes to you and says that you can earn 200% in a year, you as an investor should question it very, very well. So what I'm saying is that the risk is there just like anywhere in the world. In America, we've had the case of the likes of Madoff, etc. It can happen anywhere. But in Nigeria, especially because of lack of data, please do your due diligence very well. But if you do your due diligence very well, I can assure you that you, you're, you're in safe hands. That's really interesting, and thank you for shedding light on that. I, I think what's a really insightful moment you, you struck upon was talking about short-term thinkers. And, and I think we take it for granted often the luxury to be able to be long-term thinkers. Now, a bit of a challenging question, I suppose, is that the solar model relies on long-term planning. As you've mentioned, it has a high upfront capital cost, and then it's a long game, right? As in, once it's paid off, it's very, very profitable. However, how do you then balance where your customers are short-term thinkers, but your business model is a long game? The first thing is that, luckily, in Nigeria, the cost of capital for solar is much lower than other areas because of the high radiation. So it's not, it's not as long as, say, other places in the world. Then the other thing is that, luckily, as much as Nigerians think short-term, they value electricity. So they wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardize that opportunity to have stable access to electricity. So in fact, to give you an example, we had a customer in the early days that went to marry a second wife. I'm just telling you the Nigerian scenario. And then his capital got stretched. He did a big wedding and he can't afford it. So he wasn't paying us. He was paying us for three weeks because we charge weekly. He was paying us for a month. So we went there to remove our system. And he was pleading and saying that, please don't remove the system. I'll clear it today because I'll clear the, the um, areas today because it will be very, very shameful that I have stable electricity and all of a sudden I don't have it anymore because of my action. So what I'm saying there is that the psychological reason why they sometimes may default is actually the same reason why psychologically, because they don't want any shame. They wouldn't want to lose that benefit, right? Now, from an investment perspective, as an investor, Nigerians are very, very used to basically access to short-term capital, right? So because of that short-term thinking as well, you can come in and give a, sh a loan for a short-term and make your money back quickly. So that way it's not a long-term game. So let's say one year, two years, rather than, say, the 25 years PPA that they do in America. Great. And so you mentioned some dubious actors. Can you give some examples of dubious actors within the solar industry? We've heard stories about people photocopying solar panels, for instance, and batteries that have been repackaged and branded as new. Tell us a bit more about what it's like on the ground in Nigeria. So just to clarify, actually, that these dubious actors are actually just part of a global syndicate. So they partner with Chinese and Indians and people of other origins, and they import. The first thing they do is at the first level, they import sub power products because Nigerians typically think of cost, right? They don't think of quality, majorly. So when you're selling to somebody, they just say, how much is it? And then they pay you, and then tomorrow it's not working. So these people know that, and they take advantage of that to import subpar products. In fact, to give you an example, initially we, were, we import from China, we imported from China, and then when we were buying, the guy said, should I give you the Nigerian price or the UK price? What does that mean? So he meant quality-wise. So they are used to Nigerians buying low quality. Then the second thing is that there are also people in the business that they take old batteries, recycle them, 
and then they sell it on to customers as new. Now, this is actually a very bad practice because with recycled batteries, let's say with gel batteries, typically in Nigeria, they last two years because of the dry up. So if you recycle a gel battery, let's say it lasted two years the first time, you can't really tell when, how long it's going to last the second time. It's a gamble. So you're selling someone something that it might last two years, it might last one month. So, and also, as you mentioned, the recycle, the uh, photocopied solar panels, etc. Those are the sort of uh, act, acts that we see with dubious players. And how do you avoid that as a company? How do you make sure you don't fall into some of those traps? Usually, sadly, it's actually the companies that perpetrate these acts. But as a buyer procuring from companies, the first thing we've done is that we've struck an agreement with a very, very reputable distribution company that is trustworthy, that helps us in checking our components before it comes to us, and they give us a long-term warranty that is longer than what you typically get as a Nigerian company. So we've reduced our procurement risk in that sense. The second thing is that we have a rigid Q&A process that ensures that before we go out, take it out to the customers, we do our checks. So we bought equipments like battery testers, etc. Even though we are a small company, we're thinking like a big company. So we do our QA. And then the third thing is that when we do the installation, we spend some hours looking at the behavior of the components to see that it is actually behaving the way we expect. Because for example, an example is that if you charge a battery based on the design of your solar system, you expect that let's say the battery would last six hours after sundown. If the battery lasts two hours, that's a telltale sign that this battery is really, really bad and then you need to change it. So in a nutshell, we've de-risked by signing a, a, an agreement with a distributor, an agreement that favors us. And then two, our QA process is very, very rigid. So there was a major election in Nigeria earlier this year. It would be great to hear how the election and its results have impacted the solar business and what the impacts are on, on politics and energy. So the first thing, just a general observation as a Nigerian with this election, Nigeria was one of the countries that had notorious military leaders. But since 1999, we haven't had any fear or threat. So the democracy is pretty much stable now. Just like in a... Um, stable countries, the most advanced countries like the UK or US, you have two parties majorly. In the UK, you have Conservative and Labour. In the US, you have Democrats and Republicans. And Nigeria, you have PDP and APC. Also on that, typically, the alliance to a candidate was usually driven by either religious or tribal sentiments. But for the first time, we had an election that was driven by purely by what can you do for me as a candidate. So Nigerians are becoming more politically mature. So that's a good thing. Now, in terms of solar, how does it affect solar? The president, in his first four years, he introduced an organization called Rural Electrification Agency, which is a government parastatal that, that is given the mandate to see how they can, how really the government can help with catalyzing access to clean energy, clean energy, not just any energy, in rural areas. Now, that initiative attracted the backing of World Bank of a $350 million loan. And recently, Africa Development Bank also just announced another, I think, $200 million loan to the Lagos government for um, REA to implement projects. Majority, about 90% about 90 of these projects are solar projects. So that's a good thing for the solar industry. So the REA through World Bank provides grants, sometimes 50%, 30%, 70%, depending on the project, to solar companies. And then solar companies bring the rest through private investors. And then this is actually helping to open up doors in the industry. Now, historically, um, Nigerian 
governments have been known to actually be, well, whether real or not, but hearsay is that they've been known to be uh, contributors to the delay in solving the electricity problem in Nigeria. So it's very, very good that we have a government at the moment that is pro-electricity access for the citizens or for the Nigerians. It's, I mean, it's really great that at the top level that you're seeing a big difference, but often in, the, in Nigeria we hear that there's a lot of difference between the national level and then the local level of government. Do you still see that difference or is that bridge getting smaller whereby we're seeing that gap reducing and therefore the local government are actually implementing on the national scale or are there still challenges at a local level and what would you recommend in terms of ways to then influence those local areas to make them more aligned to the vision of the country as a whole? The challenge is that Nigeria is a very large country and has uh, a large population of people that are not educated so actually has the lowest literacy rates in West Africa. So it's sub-Saharan Africa as a whole, right? So as a result, it's very, very difficult to get things done because you really have to engage people and explain to them that you're doing good for them at the local level, etc. So that's the first thing. Engagement is difficult. And the second problem is that Nigeria has a federal st structure where everything is controlled by the uh, federal government. So the state governments and local governments are not really empowered to take initiatives and develop uh, projects by themselves without federal say-so. So what, the way it happens is that majority of the re revenue still comes, or rather wh how that came about was that majority of the revenue started coming from oil. Mm -hmm. So all the money flows to the federal and then they channel it to the, so then the state submits projects mm -hmm. and say this is what I want to do with the money and the government, the federal government approves it. Now, how would I help to improve it? The first thing is that in terms of engagement, the local governments are the closest to the people and they understand their mindsets more. So the local government should be empowered to actually start their own initiatives locally that can help to drive revenue generation, which would help to improve the quality of lives in that region. And then the state level should be allowed to implement statewide projects, and then the federal should just be like a regulator or a referee, rather than the people that control uh, that control it majorly. So the other challenge is that sometimes, even though the government controls budget allocation, the state is responsible for the delivery of those projects. So you may have a situation whereby you see a road, a federal road that is being built, and then they just stop here, and they say the state is supposed to continue from here to there. So it's, it's really a mess in that sense. So uh, in a nutshell, the political structure needs to be redefined so that all tiers of government can be empowered. But there are reasons why that wouldn't happen because Nigeria is a very sensitive country. So if you empower some people, what if they want to break away or you have state police, what if they use it for nefarious purposes, etc. Okay, Sammy, this has been a really insightful question time. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, what we're gonna do is just go through a few quick fire questions and we wanna really understand the man behind the company. Who, who are you, what, what makes you tick? Yeah. So we'll start with some simple questions. So for, for one, what's a, who's an inspiring character for you and really motivates you? An inspiring character for me these days is Marcus Aurelius, who's uh, the guy that wrote Meditations, the former Roman emperor. And then there are other people like Aliko Dangote, who is the most successful um, man of color globally and is Nigerian. And um, a third person is Jay-Z. Then on family level, my father and my older brother really, really inspire me as well. That's great, thanks. And, and can you tell us a bit about some books that you read, you recommend and that have really maybe changed the way you think of different things? Yeah. 
unfortunately, I'm a very boring guy. Okay, non-fiction. I was going to say I'm a very boring guy. I don't read non-fictions. But some that have really touched me. The number one book I recommend for everyone is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. It's about finding your personal legend. So I'm actually on that journey. I see myself as an alchemist or about to become an alchemist. So another one that really touched me is Plato's Republic. And uh, what touched me there when he was talking about the divided line, the allegory of the divided line, that really opened my eyes in terms of how I see the world. So another one that I recommend is Nigeria's uh, uh, A Hundred Year History. It's a really good book. And then the final one, one would be The Bottom Billion by a gentleman called Paul Collier, who's an Oxford professor. So those books really, really opened my eyes. So, so that's really, really insightful. So what I'd really like to know is, obviously, you're, you're moving through your career and you've had over 15 years so far. I'm still very youthful looking, though. But what would be some advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? If you looked back and went to your younger self, what, what would you tell yourself now? What I'll tell myself is uh, the thought process that really got me to be who I am now is that everyone is a researcher in the world. No one is born knowing anything. So just pick an area and try to excel at it. Don't worry whether you know it or not, or whether you make mistakes, just do your best and something good will come out of it for the world. Um, and finally, do you have a, a lasting message you'd like to leave people on the African continent and Nigeria in particular? I wish I could sing like Michael Jackson, but I can't. So I'll just say it. I'll just quote Michael Jackson, we are the world. So we are the world, the butterfly effect is real. One, anything that happens in the far corners of Africa is something that would happen that would affect the world, whether we like it or not, because there are no boundaries. We need to now get to a place whereby, rather than seeing any problem, whether it's in Africa or Europe or US, because every country has its challenge, or every region has its challenge, we should know that it's something that would affect us and we should care about it and see what we can do in our own little space to solve it. That was our conversation with Sami Lajuomi from Winnick Solar. We hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you have any questions or comments, please visit us at www.distributingsolar.com. We have notes from our podcast, useful resources, and contact details. We look forward to hearing from you.